0: Hello, and welcome to episode 136 of The Winnie Agenda. Tonight we have a stacked panel, some faces from all over the world. Well, not quite all over the world, but definitely we're very cosmopolitan here tonight um, at The Winnie Agenda. So. First of all, we have John Wei reprising his spot from last week. The audience seemed to love you last week, John. Uh, we got some nice comments on Reddit.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Um, so, John Wei is unfortunately not the 2017 Australian National Champion as we had so hoped going into the last recording session,
1: but <laughs> that's okay, John. Yes, ended up in top four, that was great.
0: Yeah, exactly. A very good result. And. I hope everyone liked that episode. We did something a little bit different and it seemed to have worked out. Jan, would you say your newfound fame has gone to
1: your head? No, but I think we certainly should do that format again.
0: I think so too. I feel like it it definitely allowed us to talk in a different structure than we normally do
1: since it wasn't as strictly planned. Would you agree? Yes, and we must mention that the black pepper grinder worked out very well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I haven't heard this episode, now I really oh, want Calvin, to. Well, Kelvin, you're a bit far behind. You you have to listen to uh, it. It's like 50% food.
0: That's okay. So, basically, for those who didn't know, we just talked about our Nationals experience. Um, me and John both went to 2017 Nationals, which was in Sydney, and we gave an impromptu recap of the tournament. Uh, as we were going into the second day. So sort of not really knowing how the tournament would end, we figured we'd try and
1: sum it up anyway. Yes, but please continue with the introductions, Wilfie.
0: Of course. So next we have Calvin, who is a Malaysian Top 8 competitor from 2017 Nationals. Hello, Calvin. It's great to have you back on the show. Long-time listeners may recognize Calvin's dulcet tones.
2: It has been a very long time, and I'm very happy to be back.
0: Yeah, that's great. So what have you been up to in the meantime?
2: Writing, which is my job. Writing about board games, which is my hobby and my job, Uh, which is is fantastic. And uh, I haven't been playing as much Netrunner as I would like, but the Netrunner that I have been playing has been very quality, so that's nice.
0: That's fantastic. So next up on our panel tonight, we have HQ, who is the... 2017 Malaysian National Champion. First of all, congratulations on your impressive feat. Thank you,
3: thank you. It's 2016 Nationals, actually.
1: Oh,
0: I'm sorry.
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: I was unaware about... This is a throwback Nationals tournament that Malaysia or KL ran that they used last year's kit, but they only played it the same time we played our Nationals last week. Yeah. Oh, okay, so sort
0: of a temporal some hole in the space-time continuum has uh,
1: led to a Nationals being brought back from the past. Yes. But but the people who heard me last week I, I did say I was hoping HQ would win and he did win and that's why we are interviewing HQ together with Calvin.
3: Uh, it's my first time here, so thank you for having me. And I'm not sure if it's been mentioned but I'm also a longtime friend of Genway. Yes. Yes.
1: That is to so, come out in the in the next question I think we'll feed that you're gonna ask on the agenda.
3: Okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I figure today we might just give some background on you, especially HQ, since you're, as you said, a newfound guest to the show. It's very good to have new people on, and there's actually some history between you two, I hear. (laughs)
3: Yeah, we started Netrunner together, I think it was just before Creation and Control was released, is that right?
1: It was the first PAX Australia 2013, I remember, was when we played our first proper Netrunner game.
3: Yeah. So we decided to get it together, and I I still remember that we promised, because at the time there was like five or six data packs already released, so we promised each other that we would slowly explore the game together and grow our card pools together, but after playing a few games in a core set, I think within a week we pretty much caught up to all the cards that were released.
0: Yeah, the Netrunner bug definitely is infectious. I think most people who got into the game with someone else um, and quickly dived into the wealth of information that's available, especially on the internet, about it, always want to just get caught up as soon as possible, because it's not really super fun to be stuck uh, with only the corset when all these new deck lists are coming out,
1: right? Yeah, definitely. So essentially, HQ and I started playing in Melbourne, um, and then he had to go back, and I've stayed on here in Melbourne, and I'm continuing to play in Melbourne, um, whereas HQ is now playing in the Kuala Lumpur meta, which I have not actually got a chance to actually play in before. It's wild. Yes, I, I hear.
0: Yeah, that's great. So how long was it, HQ, until you started playing tournaments after you, you know, took the plunge and went all in with the purchases?
3: Um, I never actually played any tournaments in Melbourne. I only My first tournament, GNK, was in KL, and that was, I, I can't remember when it was, but it was shortly after I came back. Uh so that would be maybe two years ago? Two to three years ago.
0: So definitely a fairly fast climb then. Well, given that, you know, many people have been playing since Corset and once you start playing tournaments, we've found here at the Winning Agenda that it's very hard to stop really. That was a fairly fast Jump from uh, starting to play G N K to being a national champion.
1: But I think H Q did play in Casuals, so maybe Wilfie, you may have met him before in uh, one of the shops here at that time if you were playing then.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I've been playing uh, for ages.
1: <laughs> yes, you you definitely started before us, so so you may have met us then when we were just uh, newly playing. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, it all it's all coming together now, isn't it?
1: <laughs>
3: yes, it's all connected.
0: So that's great. So HQ, would you say that before this national that you played in this year, you've had any tournaments that you did especially well in in the past, or was this sort of your breakout finish?
3: Um, before this, for the 2016 regionals, uh, I managed to win that one as well. So that was last year, and then for before that, my best placing was like second and regionals as well so I went, this
0: is my first national win nice one and so uh, i know that calvin especially you always talk about uh how diverse and how different the kl meta is from the rest of the world and it seems to follow its own trends to some degree would you say that when you were playing in the past, since HQ and Calvin, you've both played in KL for quite a while, um, would you say that that's been the case the whole time, or did that sort of develop a bit more recently, that the KL meta is really a beast of its own?
3: Yeah, it's definitely been this way most of the time. We probably only have like a handful of players who play like the top tier 1 decks, and the rest of the people just play whatever they want. And we have some interesting homebrew decks from time to time. But most of the time, they will play like interesting or funky decks they find on NetrunnerDB and just run with it. Especially for this Nationals, I'm looking at our Always Be Running page. We have actually an even split of all the Cops, so 25% for each for the turnout.
0: Oh, wow, that's really funny, especially since um, Wayland is being relegated to the past nowadays. But I, I think we'll talk about that a bit later, since, Calvin, I know you are, uh, to some extent, a... Uh, Die hard yes. um, Wayland aficionado.
2: This is accurate.
0: Um, so, Calvin, would you s- say that those uh, ideas about the metagame have held true in your experience as well? That it's
2: sort of always been a bit of a Wild West? Yes, completely. 100%. You have people who. I mean, okay, so Net Decking, it does exist, but they, but a lot of, I would say, like. of the people who 60 to 80% of the people who do net deck will net deck the weird stuff. Like HQ said, they're just like, oh, that looks fun. Oh, did you say, uh, did you say uh, Ancusa with dedicated processor? Let's do it. You know, it's just people will say that looks funny. That looks interesting. That looks cool. Let me play it. We have a WhatsApp group where where a lot of the Malaysian netrunners uh, congregate. And there's a lot of people making fun of one guy for liking prison, for example, you know, in a lighthearted way.
1: So I think my perspective of it, when when I speak to HQ, say when we practice for tournaments and whatnot, so I still play with HQ over Jnet quite a bit, especially when we are practicing for tournaments. The KL meta is it's very much a casual meta, like they say, where people play the things they like to play. Um, tier 1 decks are rarely, rarely copied, and you, it creates a weird sense of um problem if, if you yourself want to play a tier one deck and then everyone else is not playing a tier one deck, it, it creates a sort of tension between for someone who's actually picking a deck. Um although I do know that HQ when you did win your tournament last year you were playing the which the NAH boom deck wasn't it? That that was a Tier 1 deck still. Uh
3: that was for Star Championships this year. Yeah. The Railgun
1: Boom deck. Yes, the Dean's uh Railgun boom <coughs> deck that, that you played. So uh, I think on one hand, yes, you do have a lot of people playing um, casual decks, but, but people still win with, with a Tier 1 deck if you do choose to net deck a Tier 1 deck. It's just that not many people do that in KL from what I understand.
3: Yeah, and and if you choose to play a Tier 1 deck, you sort of run into this weird meta call problem where you don't actually know what the other person is running because they are playing like off-center decks. And sometimes they will just have a random card just hard counters Tier 1 decks out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, that, that seems uh, true. Uh, I think, Wilfie, when we were talking last week that even if you play a Tier 1 deck, you want to be playing against other Tier 1 decks that you've practiced against, not against a random deck that you're not sure what you're going to come up against.
2: Yeah, that's, exact, that's exactly it, right? Because people who, who bring the latest and greatest assume that everyone else will be playing the same thing because that's what it's been tacked against. And then you run into completely weird nonsense. Like, what was what was a really weird uh, cop that I ran into? Like, cause like, okay, like Link Andy is not in Meta right now, but I played against the making news media blitz with restructured data pool in round four of Swiss. So the last round in the last round of Swiss. So like, what, what exactly is Andy uh, gonna do against against like tag storm there? Because Andy's not running tag removal at the moment, apart from Aaron Marin, and that's only like two copies max and they're running MCA Informant, so... Uh.
1: Yeah, so Wilfie, that I think allows us to move on into the actual decks that both Kelvin and HQ did well with, which none of which were Tier 1 decks, and which is quite interesting because we won't be talking about our Standard Moons and Wizards and Andy today.
0: Exactly, we'll give our audience a bit of a reprieve from non-stop moon chat, although I will just uh, deviate for a little bit and say that I think this moon's chat has no has been nowhere near as as frequent as when wild cakes, uh, Dumblefork, I think, became popular. When it seemed like every episode we were talking about that. So, to some extent, you know the fact that moons is doing so well is not. The end of the world, but yeah, I think it would will be interesting, especially to talk about what sort of decks become strong in a meta game that is a bit off center. Like, what before we talk about the specific decks, I just want to ask John and HQ, do you find it a bit difficult testing so much on JNet when you both have such different ideas of how games are going to play out? Like, I know that that is often a problem when I play on JNet. That, and I think. This is fairly common, where you that one deck becomes very popular on JNet simply because it's the deck of the week or it did well at a tournament, and yet and you tech against it, and yet it doesn't really seem to come through as much in your local meta because uh, real life moves a lot more slowly.
1: Um, I think. When I test on JNet, it's um, uh, I'm going to quote Jesse here. It, it's not really so much testing against a meta; it's just testing whether your deck works or not. That's about the most you can do on JNet, unless you specifically get someone whom you know or whom you know will be playing a good deck, um, say on the competitive section. Uh, it's it's not really testing testing per se, but when I do test with uh, HQ, we are able to specifically say what matchups we want to test, and that's very useful. Um, so when I test with HQ, it's, say for this previous nationals, I asked him to play tier one decks to for me to um, test my decks against. Uh, HQ, what's your position?
3: I'm afraid for this past testing session, I'm I don't think I was a very good testing partner because I'm not that familiar yeah. with all the tier one decks because I wasn't
1: planning to play them. Mm, no, but I I did get you to play Moon's deck and I told you to do this against me and let's see what happens.
3: Yeah, and that's I don't think Moons actually lost in any of our testing. Yeah. For either side.
1: Yeah, yeah. Moons
3: is very good. That's a statement to how strong it is. Uh, other than that, I think, yeah, we just try to test whichever matchups, specific matchups that the other person wants to test, given the time available. So that isn't really a problem for both of us.
0: Right. And so I think that's a pretty good. Testament, uh, I think, to what we were talking about last week, John, where we said that you want to be fairly structured with your testing, and in order to avoid the sort of problems that I was talking about earlier, where you can draw wildly different conclusions just based on, like, if you're playing some something that's off-meta, it's very hard to draw conclusions that are going to be more broadly
2: applicable. For example, Yep. Yeah. talking about how to te- uh, testing online and like how to prepare for. The, the tier one stuff. This is gonna sound a bit weird, considering I finished top eight in nationals. But the I find that the more I stay away from Netrunner DB and Jinteki the more I enjoy Netrunner. I'm I'm happiest when I run into weird decks in Swiss. Like that is the time I have the most fun playing this game. Like I sit I sit down for like round two, round one, round two, or sometimes even round three of Swiss, and I see the idea and like. What is what is that? What is that doing? I have no idea what I'm going to expect, and I have to prepare for everything. And that's what I have the most fun playing this game because for me, netrunner is about the puzzle. It's about trying to see what is happening uh, in the current game state and trying to find my out and trying to find out how to beat what the other person brought to the table, which is, in our meta, almost always really good anyway, even if it's weird. And I don't like as I don't like nearly as much the solved quote unquote the solved problem like. How to play against Moon? Oh, you follow step one, step two, step three, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. I mean, I I understand that it's important. I just don't think it's as fun. And um, because I have so not, uh, I, I have so much reduced time to play Netrunner, I would much rather reserve my time to play against stuff which I think is really fun, like you know, Stealth Nasir, which my friend is running, or his uh, his really weird Harish Chandra deck that tries to attack your stack. It's it's a lot of fun to play against, even even though. It's technically not tier one, but I still find it incredibly difficult to fight because he's just—he's a good player.
1: Yeah, I think Kelvin, you—you you bring up very important points here about why people play games and why people play Netrunner. I mean, it depends on what the intention of the game is. So, Netrunner as a game—if you were to play it—you have a lot of options. You—it's actually a lot of fun. When exactly what you were trying to describe. Um, solving puzzles, seeing uh, random things happen, seeing new things happen. Um, so a lot of people will enjoy that and certainly in Kuala Lumpur, we, you get to face against those decks even in a nationals tournament and that's certainly very enjoyable. Um, I guess if you have other people where if the whole or majority of the population are playing top decks or tier 1 decks, then you may find it Not as enjoyable if every deck you're going to face is this tier 1 deck. And then you have this tension between... Well, in the whole community, the tension between... It, it, it's its a problem where there will always be people wanting to play Tier 1 decks. And what proportion of that amount of people will determine what the meta is going to be like. So it is both a good and a bad thing for KL to have a meta that is so diverse. Um, on one hand, yes, you get to um, explore many different strategies and see many different things. On the other hand you have a lot less control over the situation so some people may prefer that and some people may prefer the other version
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good point and that actually brought up another question for me that I want to throw to you, Calvin which is that given that you said and this seems to be <laughs> true we'll discuss this a bit later uh, but you've always been one to bring decks that are not necessarily tier 1 um, and how do you go about finding out within a game what sort of strategy your opponent is playing, because that's something you mentioned there, that you like it when your opponents seem to throw chaotic things or seem to throw off-center things at you, but you seem to be able to handle it quite well. Whereas I think, uh, especially me, but a lot of people as well, I think, who follow a similar sort of philosophy to me, would rather play against tier one decks because the game plan is a lot more.
2: Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot less mentally taxing when you when you have, when you know exactly what you want to do, especially after a long day of yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk very briefly about an example that I had. Uh, I, I faced round uh, in round two, so I swept round one. So in round two, I was going up against all the quote unquote good players and I got matched up with uh, Edmund from Singapore. HQ, did you play against Edmund on the day? You did, right?
3: Um, we got matched in the last round, but we chose to ID.
2: Oh, I see. But you did you play casually? Yeah, yeah, we did. Did you play? Yeah. Okay. But when I played against his, his corp, his corp was eigenfusion Infusion. And I was like, ooh, Agin Infusion, Glacier, uh. Okay, I'm bracing myself for a long game. And then I, I drew my opening hand, and it was an amazing long game opening hand. At my personal workshop, I had my Magnum Opus, I had Peace in Our Time, uh, I had a Breaker, and I had uh, like a memory option or something, I can't remember what the last card was, but it was an amazing long game hand. so I kept it. His first turn was, make remote credit credit. I was like, what? That's really weird. So I I just, okay, you know what, I'm just gonna stick to my plan. First click piece in our time, second click personal workshop, Uh, third click, put the opus in the personal workshop, fourth click, I can't remember, I probably drew a card after the piece in our time. And then his second turn was draw a card, credit, credit, or like a hedge fund and an IPO. And I'm like, this is not ag infusion, like no, this is not normal ag infusion. I w- then I started to get like really weirded out, and I was like, okay, uh, I don't want to run HQ yet because I don't want to hit a shock and a, a snare and a shock and die. Let me uh, find my equivocation. Uh, I SMC'd an equivocation, I think, uh, or I had or I drew it and I and I hard installed it, and I started running his R and D. And i saw like i saw um another ipo i saw a quandary i saw a cortex lock and i was like is this some kind of like weird kill eigenfusion? infusion he's got 25 credits should i be scared or worried about something and then remember the remote he created on turn one he advanced it once and put an ice in front of it and then he put a caprice on it and rest it i was like that's very very strange i'm very confused right now i run the ice and it's a Susanna. oh it is Glacier Ag Infusion. It turned out he was incredibly agenda-flooded and was just piloting his way out of it. And then I lost really fast, because I don't have a good way to break Susano, because I'm running the Notka, especially single Susano on a server. And he had friend. He kept frenzing... He friends Caprice Nisei back in, uh, to the... No, wait, no. I'm, I'm mistaken. But yeah, he had a Caprice Nisei. He scored the Nisei Mark II in the server. So he had a Caprice Nisei, a Susano, and, uh, and a Nisei counter. And after that, he just he just won immediately. He he rest he rest he rest two ice the entire game. The the quandary on R and D and the Susano. He didn't he didn't never ice HQ, and he had one ice on Archives, which I guess was the cortex lot because he had to dump a future perfect in there.
1: It was weird. So was that a positive experience or a negative experience, Calvin? Uh, I just
2: thought it was I just thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Like because because uh, I was um. It was so cool to me because I didn't know what was happening. Because I, I thought, okay, this it looks like standard Eigenfusion. Edwin is the kind of person who plays like standard quote unquote decks. But there was that possibility that it was something really strange. And I had to account for that. And I had to play as if he was trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. So I had to slow down and then he won. Like Eigenfusion won on like turn ten, which is so strange.
1: Yep, so you're saying that these kind of experiences where you're trying to puzzle something out is something that you derive a lot of enjoyment from.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love losing, I love that, I love losing that round.
1: Okay, okay, yes, I I don't think this is something Wilfie would share, though.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, to some extent, I would agree in that I do, and Jan, I know we talked about this last week where I lost in route in my first game of nationals i played against a sync deck where i hit a thoth and then a universal connectivity fee with three all three of my um conspiracy breakers in the bin and then died in short order but yeah i think that is an interesting point that it's often not obvious what sort of strategy your opponent is trying to undertake and that often can be the difference between winning and losing, because, especially because the early game is so important nowadays. Um, but I will just pull back for a little bit, and I want to talk to Calvin and HQ about their deck choices. Calvin, so I know you touched on the choices you made for your runner. Do you want to just go over your decks quickly? All right,
2: so runner deck is Haley Kaplan. Uh, I, I took my Chaos Theory deck with the personal workshops and the Stim Hacks and the Magnum Opus. And I switched it to Haley because, like you said, the early game is so important now. You need to set up really fast. Um, I The extra five cards basically were three fan sites, a film critic, and an extra personal workshop. I also increased the, the number of Magnum Opus copies to three. Because I find that if you need to SMC your Opus, it's a lot worse than if you can put your Opus on your personal workshop. So I have three Opus now. Um, and I have also three algo trading because... Um, having a, a shaper way, to, like an in-faction, no influence way to drip economy, um, I think is really good. And the reason I didn't go for Blue Moose is because Algo costs zero to install. Uh, technically, you have to put credits on it, but it doesn't put you down in tempo the turn you install it, which is really important in an open stack because you want to keep as, mu- as your money as high as possible. If you see that the corp isn't doing anything that turn, then you say, okay, now I can put three credits on Algo. But if you upfront dedicated four credits to Blue Moose and suddenly they install advanced, advanced in the server, you're in deep trouble. Um, uh, so, and I almost had Blue Moose in, but I decided to keep Beth instead because I only had that one slot. I think Beth is more flexible than Blue Moose because I think a click is, is more valuable than, than two credits. And she's also two to install instead of four. Uh, my breakers are Inversificator, Nanotka, and Paperclip. Uh, I cut Artman because I was scared of Chiashi. I, I had the the last event I played. There was a Chiashi, and I was trying, I had to break it with Artman. That was the most painful experience I've ever had. Never again.
1: So Kelvin, this is the um, sort of evolution of your Victorian deck, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. It's it's a uh, it's still Victorian but it's in Haley. Chaos Theory. Um, you know, because of her dad's fighting, she stopped running.
1: So. Yes. So I think essentially when, whenever I've seen the Victorinox decks, any version of it being posted up on Netrunner DBI, I always say I envy those people who are able to dedicate their lives to uh, tuning one deck and, and, and getting the deck better and better. Uh, because I'm the sort of person that's always always attracted by the new next hot shiny thing, and, and I keep changing my decks over and over again. I can never stick to one. So so that's one thing that I always envied you, being able to just focus on one and just tuning that.
2: It, if if you look at it from my perspective it's because I think I'm not a good enough player to to, to do anything else like I must have played 2 300 games with with Victorian Ox. I still lose a lot you know what I mean so if I switch to something else mm-hmm. uh, my win rate I, I think is gonna dive and I think I' just personally I'm just very comfortable with this deck because I found it's the I think it's one of the better shells for magnum opus I've ever played and I think magnum opus is yeah it's it's slow but there are so many games of netrunner. Like when I watch, like when I watch other people play games, like even at our casual nights, or even when I'm like when i walking around at nationals and watching people, uh, other people's rounds. And I think to myself like, oh, if only they had more money. Yeah. You know, like how many times have you have you been playing a game of netrunner and be like, oh, I just need more money. If I had more money, I, I I would I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem right now. And Opus is infinite money.
1: What corp deck did you play, Kelvin?
2: Um, I'm playing. Uh, sorry, one one quick one quick thing before I move on. My tech cards were Clot, Archives, Interface, and Parasite. Uh, Parasite is for Hakugo, Silver, Komainu, all really, really annoying eyes. I caught two. I caught two corps out with Clot, like they went It's okay. install advanced Core, and I'm like, no, 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 no hang on, I want a Clot. Um, and I think Haley is really good for Clot because of um, because of ability to install it from the grid. Uh, so you don't have to reveal the fact that you have clock. So even if you don't have SMC on the table, you can like uh, install a program from personal workshop and then put the clock down. It's strong. And Archive's interface was because moon. Yeah.
1: So some it, people did play did moons moon. on the day.
2: Two. So I think there were two moon decks. Yeah. But they both got into top 8.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, okay. So my corp is Blue Sun. Uh, and my corp is um, Blue Sun with mid-season replacements and boom.
1: Yep. Uh, did that go okay? I think you you were, in the past few weeks, you were kind of saying the the meta is a bit too quick, the runner meta is a bit too quick for Blue Sun. Now, how did you find that in the tournament itself?
2: I was, I was I even said this to HQ on the day, like, I might have to stop playing Blue Sun because the runners can make money so fast, and if you don't have a, if you don't draw your oversight AIs or your or your consulting visits, or your big eyes in the first few turns, you're just going to get left behind economically because you can't defend against
1: yeah, it's uh, television
2: contract. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, I think that there are ways to accelerate. Uh, okay, so let me talk about this. A couple of versions ago, I was running Zealous Judge. The idea was that you had an interaction with MCA informant where you tagged them, and then you can res Zealous Judge and then if Zealous Judge is behind like a curtain wall, they're in this forked position where do I spend all my money to run in and trash Zealous Judge, and then you give the Corp a scoring window or a mid-seasons window, or do you leave the Zealous Judge and then just get tagged infinitely? Uh, the problem with that version is that it needed way too many things to come together at once. You needed to have the MCA informant, they needed to have a connection, you needed to have the Zealous Judge, you needed to have a remote. So, it was, I, the, so I must have played that version of the deck like 20 or 30 times, and the number of times I pulled off the Zealous Judge combo was zero. Like out of thirty games. And I was like, this is this is a little bit either either it's too fragile or my personal playstyle is not jiving with it. So so I left it. So uh, in nationals I played instead of two Zealous Judge, two Illegal Arms Factory. And because my thought was, okay, Illegal Arms Factory is incredibly expensive to trash, especially if it's behind big eyes, um, I can just pick it up with Blue Sun at the start of my turn. So I so I can just like reuse my remote and it accelerates uh, my game plan by giving me cards and credits, which Blue Sun's biggest weakness at the moment, if you don't have a good early game, your mid game will stall and then you just lose because you have no solution to what the runner is doing, because your ice your ice is also expensive um, and and uh, not that taxing apart from like Marcellus, which is probably the best code gate in the game right now in my opinion. Um, But then you run into this, like, really weird problem in the mid-game. So part of the reason I'm thinking of solving it was through illegal arms factory. And uh, shout-out to Alexis Spicer for giving me this idea. Hard-hitting news. Uh, Hard-hitting news out of Blue Sun is people are not expecting this. Like, I hard-hitting news two different people on, like, turn two. Like, they're just, oh, uh, Blue Sun has an open server. I'll just check it with dirty laundry because I, as I'm setting up, uh, or whatever. You know, it's just, oh, open R&D, I'll just dirty laundry it. Like, okay, uh, hedge fund, consulting visit, hard-hitting news. you're tagged for four. And then that slows them down tremendously. So it brings them down to your level. You know what I mean? So that was uh, a and then, tech.
1: It, it worked?
2: Uh, yeah, it, it worked in two different rounds, and it saved me in both rounds. Like, what the first, the first round... It just outright won me the game because uh, the criminal couldn't dig out the four tags and I just boomed him. Uh, the second time, the, the runner had a really strong start. But then because of the hard-hitting news, I had to spend three turns like clicking for credits to clear the tags. That let me equalize his really strong start with my relatively slow one. So
1: I'm sure Alexis would be very pleased to hear that her tag that she provided to you worked. So we must be sure to thank her properly.
2: Yeah, 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 I think I, I think I thanked her on Facebook already, but I, I'm not 100% sure because uh, yeah, I can't I can't remember. But I, definitely after this, I will go and message her on Facebook. Cool. Um, the the next thing is that I think the illegal arms factories could be replaced with just more money, like straight money, like two IPOs. Because uh, I'm running three hedge fund, three restructure. I, if I just put two IPOs in there, I think it will be faster. The illegal arms factory because you just go boom, five credits, click, five credits, instead of illegal arms factory, which takes time to build up to that five.
1: I think what you're Um, describing here, Kelvin, is sort of the state of the matter where the only way the cops can compete in terms of money with the runner is to have a short window where you can burst out some economy, and for that short window, have that economy lead. Because if you leave the runners alone for even a turn or two, they will generate a lot of drip economy, and a lot of their economy will outpower the cops economy by a long shot.
2: Yes, uh, in that in that game I was talking about, where I I hard hitting use equalized the runner. He eventually set up his econ engine, which was Aesop's Pawn Shop, Blue Moose, and Tap Worm. So he was dripping 10 credits a turn. And the thing is, his breaker was Faust, so he wasn't even using those credits to break ice. He was just using those credits to not die to mid-season replacements. I can't purge the Tap Worm because he has, like, sacrificial constructs installed. I can't stop the Blue Moose because I don't have Elizabeth Mills. And I can't stop the ASOPs because I don't have Elizabeth Mills. And I can't tag him because hard-hitting news doesn't work when they have more money than you. And mid-season replacement doesn't work when they have more money than you. And MTA informant can't hit either of those because they're not connections. So I'm just sitting there going like, well, he has 50 credits. I have 30 credits, which is a lot, but it's not enough to turn on my primary win condition. And because he has Faust, he can break anything really, because his turn can be like Laguna of Laguna Lagoon Laguna Lascaux, run the server, you know, and he'll have he'll have 11 cards with Faust. Plus, he was running normal breakers. He had Nanoka Inti and Inversificator, so the 50 credits can be put to, you know, an actual use. That was also the game where he played six Employee Strikes, because he has two Levy Universities, uh, Levy Air Assets, so six Employee Strikes in Blue Sun
1: difficult. <laughs> so how did that game end up? Did you end up winning or did the runner eventually overpower you?
2: He, he won, but it was very very close So what had happened was I had uh, scored a blank atlas to get to four points. So so I'm at this is 45 minutes in okay, so I just uh, I Scored to get to four points and the score had taken off the employee strike and he was out of employee strikes He had used two levies He had used up his fan sites for his shadow net and he had used his same old thing. Or his same old thing was somewhere in his deck after the levy. So he was out of employee strikes. So, and I had, I'm not joking, I counted after the match, 50 credits worth of ice on the table. Rest. So since the employee strike was now gone, the ice was going to start coming back up. I was going to start advancing the Colossus on R&D so Nanotka would be really difficult to use to break it. And uh I was gonna start, you know, like a- advancing my plan and making and, and start creating really taxing servers to actually win the game. Then he ran R and D and touched an agenda on the third card due to this two RDIs and then he instantly won. But we both talked about it after that and he said if he hadn't stolen that last agenda on that R and D run, he 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 knew he was in deep, deep trouble. Um but it was a really fun game. I really enjoyed it. It was my best it was my best game of nationals, this like weird forty-five minute blue sun game that just like this constant back and forth war of the currents. Uh, I tax you, you tax me. Um, make him pay 11 credits with Inti to break pythonium because he didn't He didn't think I could res an ice on two credits, but you can if you sacrifice Oaktown renovation, which is why I included Pythonium It's great.
1: I'm quite surprised that, Kelvin, you were able to still compete with the all-the-drip economy given the problems Blue Sun has with employee strike. So that, that, that was great.
3: I just want to add that there's this common sense in our meta that whenever you sit across Kelvin, especially against his blue sun, you are just ready for like a 30-40 minute slog fest unless he gets flooded or something.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, HQ. Um, your decks that you won with. What was your runner deck? Okay, my
3: runner deck is basically a Lock Haley shell in kit. Um, so I really like playing kit because. It just gives you so much safety when it's running with one breaker. So to adapt Lock into Kit, I removed the files, which saves five influence. And then to get the sort of pseudo files effect where you can run a lot of places safely, I went with a refractor and stealth credits. But not going full stealth with all my breakers. So the other breakers were regular big rig breakers of Paperclip and okay, and an uh, inversificator for support Liquid. on
1: on just on that um do we think it might be called Nanotech instead as Jesse mentioned it a few episodes ago um I
0: think that's a matter for another time I believe the jury is still out
1: okay alright keep going
3: yeah so that's the breaker wise resource wise it's pretty similar with Locale except for the networker with the stealth credits and I also added okay special mention for the networker uh, I think in your last episode, you and Wilfrey mentioned that the biggest problem against moons, uh, against moons, is that when you have established a remote and the clock lock, you need to spend a lot of time checking every re- every remote server they create, and the lack of draw when you are checking those servers is a big problem because you can't advance your board state. Yes. So, with NetMarker and like a single lock pick on the board. Every time you check, a remote server can draw you a card, and if you have extra recurring staff credits, you can basically be a shaper Desperado or a shaper John Marcinori.
1: Yeah, very interesting. So, so you're using it like a John Marcinori.
3: Yeah, and it also gives you it also lets you pump up net marker, and you can even use those credits to trash important things in moons if you need to. So overall, that's probably the most impactful card. And instead of Laguna, because I didn't need the extra card draw, I went with Professional Contacts.
1: Did you find that the 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 strong point of Lock Haley is because with the Laguna you get to draw to your whole deck very quickly, and that gives you access to one a lot of your singleton copies. Um, in this case, if you have taken out the Laguna and you've also gone up to, I think, what, 48 cards in your deck?
3: 47, 47.
1: 47. With professional context, did you find that you were able to get to all your singletons in time or was that a problem?
3: Uh, most of the time, I was quite lucky because 47 is definitely a mistake. But there was one game in Swiss against Etia. Uh, lucky for me that Etia wasn't Moon's um, Etia. And she got out. It was Kelvin's girlfriend, actually, who was playing. So she got out a fairly safe remote server that I couldn't get in because I couldn't draw SMC or any of my breakers for the life of me for like the first 20 cards. But fortunately, she couldn't draw any agendas to score out either. So as I told other people who asked me how does my runner work, I just told them, you need a lot of luck.
1: Yeah, I think mostly, usually in tournaments, luck plays a huge role. For the people who get to the top, they will say many times during the rounds, a number of lucky things happen, otherwise they wouldn't be there.
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, just one more thing. I think Kelvin and I were the only ones running Archives Interface on the day. For me, Archives Interface was mo- uh, mainly for industrial genomics and their bioethics shenanigans, which I really didn't want to deal with.
2: Yep. I almost ran Net Shield because I hate that matchup so much. But I ended up
1: thinking Archives Interface was enough. Yep.
3: Yeah. So I think lucky for us, there wasn't any IG that day, I think.
1: Were well, there other net damage decks?
3: There was one PE, which Archives Interface didn't do anything against.
2: No, that's it. There's two There's two Tannins, and Ag Infusion, and a Replicating Perfection. They were all vicious. Yeah, they were all vicious.
1: That's quite surprising, because in the past number of years, I've heard uh, HQ say that people in KL like net damage.
2: Yeah, they do. They just didn't bring it this tournament.
1: Yeah,
3: which is why the meta is fairly unpredictable.
2: Yeah, because like, I, I could have I run Net Shield, but I would have had to cut... <coughs> You know, uh, something else I don't know what I would have cut looking at my list uh, I can't cut film critic I don't know maybe a fan site but you know what I'm saying like that that sacrifice to like, so the net she would have done literally nothing all day I didn't take a single point of net damage
3: and the archives interface was also for extra utility against moons like Kelvin mentioned but I found that even when I had it in hand installing it and running archives to remove something was, was tempo I couldn't afford especially when they have Probably multiple Jacksons on the board before the face cards.
1: Was this against Moon specifically?
3: Yes, it was in the finals game actually. My first final game, which I lost against uh, Turtlebacks Moon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, what about your corp deck?
3: Okay, corp deck is a pretty standard, remote less list that I took from Savorin. Self-
0: Silverin, yes. Um, <clears throat> He, he, has been popularizing that deck for a very long time now.
3: Yeah, so my favorite part about this deck is it's really good against Temujin runners, or, or any any criminals that heavily relies on Temujin and security testing to get their economy going. So the basic idea of the deck is you just want to ice up all your centrals, get your ID firing as much as possible, money up, and then just fast advance all your agendas. You only ever build a remote when you're against a shaper or you suspect someone having cloth
1: Yeah, I played against your deck a few times um, on JNet when you tested it, um, and and it was not an enjoyable experience.
3: <laughs> yes, I've been told that many times. Especially when a criminal puts down a bank job hoping to fire it, and he never sees a remote for the rest of the game.
1: But I think Netrunner, as long as it's fun for yourself, that's all that matters.
3: Yeah, uh, the only interesting card in there that I put in was, I think, little Repression which is kind of Jintaki's way of recursion, like archive memories. So it lets you recur your Fast event tools whenever you need them. And then because I play Nisei as an agenda as well, so with the ability to recur your Fast tools later on in the game, you're at more liberty to use like a double trick of light to score a Nisei out of hand. Which really helps against like siphon runners or any event based runners.
1: So did most of the deck do as you intended? Allele repression worked for what you wanted it to do. Yeah,
3: every time allele repression showed up, it pretty much set the pace for the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, I think I think these, these cards are quite interesting. And just going back to the initial point that we were saying that currently there are a lot of interesting cards in the meta. It's just that a huge proportion of the people who play uh either well i i would say i don't actually know how to build decks myself it's a very difficult thing to do but there's certainly a lot of options available for people who have the time to devote to actually explore the card pool
0: calvin i know the story before was where you talked about your most interesting game of the day being a 45 minute game with blue sun that was in the first round of top eight
2: yeah it was in the first round of top eight and um while I was very happy to play that game, and like I said, it was the best game I played that day, and probably one of the best games of Netrunner I've played in a very long time. In fact, like the first thing I said after I lost was, I wish we had recorded that, because I really wanted to keep that for posterity. But but it meant that I was down in um, down 1 in elimination. But honestly, the only thing I wanted in, in this Nationals was the playmat. I wanted the play playmat, that's all I wanted. So the moment I made the cut, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm done. If I just lose two games, we can go home because we started. We started quite late. We started at uh, 4 p.m. So by the time uh, top eight rolled around, it was like 8:30, 9. We hadn't had dinner. Um, we were just gonna plow on through, through through the top eight games while the TO ordered pizza. So it's like part of me was like, okay, I've I've gotten what I came for. Let's let's just let's just keep playing and see what happens. But I wasn't really. Um, Gunning for like a first place finish. Although it would have been great if I if I if I managed to get into like top four or even top two. But so after that, uh, I played one more game against a tenon, and this was one of the two fast advanced sets that I caught with Clot. Uh, he was on four points and he tried to score out an agenda, and I I I I, I caught him and said, no no no, hang on, I want to SMC Clot. and he was like, oh. Uh, then for my last click, I will I will ice the server, so now it's a now it's a three ice remote, but I had something like. 30 credits so i was just like okay click one get uh, i'll get another 10 credits from algo trading click two magnum opus click three magnum opus click four magnum opus click five run the server so i had like a ridiculous amount of money so he rest all three ice i believe no wait no he rest two of the ice it was a dinar tracker and uh and a wormhole so two really big code gates and i was like no i don't want to use investigator because i want to to know what the ice is right so i did i left the two giant code gates there. Uh, I I hit the uh, the last ice. He didn't have enough money to raise. He had four credits, and then I hit the agenda and I stole it, and that was the moment that I lost the game because he was on four points. I had just left two giant code gates on the remote server instead of moving them off to HQ and I don't know um, the the secondary remote he had created to house um, to, to house an econ an econ asset. And, and he was at four credits. So, if I had just put two unrest ice on the remote server, there's nothing he could do. Instead, he installed an obocata and took two credits. And I was like, uh, oh, that could be an Oberkarter. But I can't check it because I don't actually have enough credits to break the wormhole and the DNA tracker with Versificator. And now he's got six credits. He could res that third ice. It could be something like a firewall or something, right? This is 10 in. I'll just leave it. Then on his turn, he's like, Okay, uh, advance it with ten in shipment from ten in. So that was completely my fault. I failed to abuse the power of inversificator and I lost. But it was it was a lot of fun. Uh I, I think the, the the really satisfying moment of watching the cop try and advance out and I was like, No 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 no, hang on. I have a reaction was uh, was totally worth it.
0: Yeah, and I think inversificator especially we've talked about before and the show is being very skill intensive in the sense that that you have lots of choices from the runner and it really depends on what you think the corpse game plan is going to be from then on. So, you know, that is in itself a difficult decision to make.
2: Yeah, like I had no way of knowing that he had Obokata protocol in his hand, right? Then it's just you put it into the remote and and, and go. So, but, but, but it's a good lesson for the future. HQ? Uh,
3: just one more thing about the Inversificator. Even for the corpse side, you have some great plays around it. If you can anticipate it, like the best play against Inversificator I've seen was, I think it was Blue Sun. So the Blue Sun had a curtain wall in the remote, and then she installed a face down eyes on Archives, which you would normally wouldn't do against a Shaper. So the sh- the Shaper, the Runner ran, used Inversificator to swap it with the Archives eyes, so the curtain wall is now on Archives. And then the next run, it turns out the Archives eyes was another curtain wall. Yeah, so there are some. Tricky little place. You can play as the cop as well to play around. Like you said, it's really a skill-intensive
2: program. Was that Miss, was that Mistika? Yeah, I was. Oh my god, she's she's so like. Oh, I watch her play, and I'm like, holy shit! How do I how do I get around this? Yeah,
0: I think lots of things you can do both on the corp side and the runner side. Um, do you want to talk about any interesting situations that came up for you in Top Eight HQ? Uh, for
3: Top Eight. Probably for my cop side, it was the game against Bernard, which who is uh, like our local top player. So he was on uh, the typical Andy, but he w- he had Katie Jones in his deck, two of them I think. So as I found out the hard way that the tenant really struggles against people running Katie Jones because as you turtle up, they can turtle up as well, and all that money would just. Gives them the ability to run through all your eyes with Temujin as extra support. So in my game versus him, he basically could run anywhere, and then he was up to 6 points. Uh, luckily for me, earlier on, I finished to fast advance 2 agendas out for 4 points, and 2 of 3 of my medical breakthroughs were stolen. So my only out... I, I couldn't keep him out anywhere. My only out was to play Clones Are Not People, and then Trick of like the last medical breakthrough for a 3-point score. And yeah... As Junwei mentioned, I was very lucky that day. I got my out at the end, and he didn't see that play coming, so I managed to win that through the skin of my teeth. And also he had a security testing on Archives the whole time, and there were four agenda points in there pretty much the whole game, and he never checked it.
1: That yeah, sounds amazing.
3: Yeah, so check Archives Criminals.
0: I might just talk about quickly how rotation might impact the metagame from your perspective, but just because... I know that it's sort of a brand new world and we really don't know at the moment what rotation is going to look like in terms of the decks and even to some extent in terms of the cards because there's still a new data pack to come out and that'll be a data pack that has been designed with rotation in mind. So do you think from the perspective of the KL meta um, how will rotation affect what sort of decks people or have you heard anything about that from people in your local meta or I'll start with HQ? Uh,
3: I don't think I've heard anyone specifically building for rotation just yet and because we tend to get our packs roughly about a few weeks to a month later than the rest of you so we kind of have like a little lag time before we are caught up to the current meta Uh, but Rotation-wise, I think runners should be okay. I haven't really looked at all the cards that are being rotated, but I think they have many options to replace whatever that's being rotated on. I think everyone's concern is prob- most likely Corp side and the loss of Jackson Howard and how we're going to play around that. That would probably be the biggest issue to solve after rotation.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely been... What I've been hearing on the internet as well, um, and we'll have to see how that turns out. Calvin, did you have anything to say on that topic?
2: I actually, uh, m- my friend, he doesn't play in events um, yet because he doesn't have the time yet, but he has built um, rotation proof decks just to see what it will be like. And preemptive action is going to be, I think, the-, the closest thing we have to a Jackson Howard replacement. Um, it does mean that agendas will have to sit in archives for one turn, uh, but I think that you know, like HQ said, runners currently don't check archives enough. Especially if there's only one or two face downs, it's often not worth the click. And if there's an ice on archives, which I think you should be icing archives if you're against uh, like a lot of the matchups nowadays, um, and especially after rotation. You know they might they just might not check it and then your preemptive action will 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 save you. I've I've played against his Jacksonless deck, running preemptive actions and I'm like yeah that's actually not bad. Like I, I I didn't see any noticeable difference apart from the fact that of course you can't use preemptive action to accelerate um, your draw, which is the 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 main thing about Jackson Howard I think will miss. But NBN has so many tools now in like disposable HQ special report even like Corset Anonymous Tip, that you can still import for one influence. Obviously, it's not as good because Jackson Howard was like an accelerant and, a, and an archives control in one slot and in one influence. But even now, like my my Blue Sun list, I'm cutting one Jackson Howard for for preemptive action to slot Janus because I think that Nanotka is going to have a hell of a time trying to break Janus.
1: I think maybe the question here is instead of not having an archives um savior is more like what do corps do without an accelerant how are they going to have both slots for to protect archives and also slots to accelerate their game plan which is what jackson is at the moment
0: yeah i think that's a really succinct way of putting it and it'll be really interesting to see especially on the corp side how people solve what i see as being quite a critical problem
1: yeah because people are mainly focused on how do you protect the agendas that are going to archives, but I don't think I've heard much about people asking how are cops going to accelerate their game plan what draws are, what what cards are they going to use to draw them cards mm,
2: I think that maybe Estelle Moon is something that the designers maybe had intended to. To kind of maybe solve that problem a little bit from a personal perspective i've never i very very rarely use jackson howard to draw cards in my blue sun actually a lot of the time it sits on the board as a way to like uh, just face down to make them check remotes and to make my uh, gender density and r and a bit better and to recur stuff my operations into r&d so i can fetch them with consulting visit but i realized that this is a this is a very like uh, minimal sorry not minimal but like a, a minority perspective because not every deck has access to consulting visit and consulting visit is such a fantastic accelerant in Wayland but yeah I mean that's that's currently my my perspective on it I, I very rarely double click to draw with Jackson Howard in my blue sun
3: I think another option that cops can take with the loss of Jackson Howard is that um, cops might be pushed to a more rushing strategy. So instead of trying to protect your agendas, you just score them, and you at the same time creating pressure for the runner to either run the remote or at least lock you from R&D from accessing more agendas. So that might be another way to play around.
2: Yeah, because I mean, Pass speed, past speed is going. So uh, and Katie Jones is going. So that's that's like long game protection for the runners is like disappearing. So if you, for example, if you play Whalen Rush with like Cecil Scott Scorch, like classic. Uh, you know Genesis cycles um, Wayland, you might actually catch up some runners because you'll be going really quickly, especially with uh, cards like Oaktown Corporate Sales Team. Um, what's that? What's the other four two? Um, I can't remember, but you know stuff stuff like that of that nature that's that's built to go really fast. Uh, I. I'm I would like to file a complaint because my my both my decks will be completely gutted by rotation. Uh, oversight AI is leaving, mid season replacements is leaving, Project Atlas is leaving, so I'll have to rebuild my deck basically from the ground up. Personal workshop is going, so that that's gone too. So thanks thanks uh, thanks FFG. <laughs> thanks for making your game better.
0: Okay. Well if anyone from FFG is listening, please take Calvin's opinions uh, (laughs) into account for the future. Uh, He is very important. Yes, thank you. Cool. So that's all the time we have for The Winning Agenda today. If you'd like to get into contact with us, you can message us on Twitter. We are at Winning Agenda. You can send us an email at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can check out our page on Facebook. We are The Winning Agenda. Or if you're really interested in what we have to say, you can check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com winningagenda, and join our exclusive subscribers group for Patreon supporters. Thank you very much to our guests today, Jianwei, Calvin, and HQ. We're very excited to have you on, and we hope that you guys were happy to come on as well. Yeah, thank you. It's been
2: great. Yeah, it was excellent. Thank you so much for having us on.
1: Thank you, Billy.